Alrighty then, good morning and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. How is everybody doing this morning? Yeah, alright, man, I'm pumped. We are, uh, spring break is upon us, coming up soon. I know that's very exciting for a lot of you. Uh, how many of you guys have great plans for spring break? Two of you, excellent. Uh, Alright, well, <laughs> the rest of us will be hanging out here uh, doing great awesome things, of course. All right, hey, my name is Chris Pleckenpole. I'm the lead pastor here at Wells Branch Community Church, and we're going through the book of Obadiah today, which is always a fun one to kind of look at God's, like, judgment and his justice, and that makes people nervous. So if you have any questions about God's justice or the things that make people nervous about God and church, it's like, that's why I don't do church. All you guys talk about is like wrath and blah. Man, we are so glad to have all your questions. So I won't think you're like looking up any, you know, checking your email or texting your friends. I'll know you're texting me uh, and asking me questions that we're going to talk about this week on Pastor Plex podcast. I can't wait uh, to interact with you there. So yeah, we are in, we're going to be going through the shortest book. We're going to go through an entire book today, uh, Obadiah, all right? So the easy way to find it is look at the table of contents, and it'll tell you the page number that we're going to be on pretty much for the whole day, because we got 21 solid verses in Obadiah to look at. Now, Obadiah talks about God's justice, and when you look um, at the world, isn't it true that right now, with things unfolding in Ukraine, Uh, that things are looking kind of chaotic. Like we're watching death and destruction in 4K. We are seeing people's like lives and hopelessness and it's like, what is happening? And um, like big country, rich and powerful, small country, not quite as rich and powerful. And they're really sort of, I'm struggling taking it all in. And as one who has been to combat, uh, I have seen firsthand the atrocities of war. In fact, I'll never forget this one time, just uh, we, we saw something suspicious in the back of a pickup truck when I was in Iraq, and it was like guy's feet out of the back seat, or out of the back of the pickup. And so I, we stopped the car, I get in, I pull off uh, a big um, blanket, and I find four men executed. And everything, in, there's that moment of anger and like, what is wrong? I go to, you know, we're going to get this guy who's driving the truck. He must have done this. And turns out that was the brother. That was his father and three other brothers in the back. And he was taking to bear, them to bury them. That the night before, terrorists had come in and found out they had uh, given uh, American forces information that, you know, to stop the terrorism. And so they were executed. And there was this whole sense of anger and this whole sense of like, God, what are you doing? Like th- this thing of like, what is happening? And I, and I feel like if, if we're honest, you've, you have a, a real sense of things aren't right in the world. And maybe you've said this. If there's a God, okay, I'll give you God. But either he doesn't have any power or he ain't that good. Because if he were, would he allow this kind of stuff to happen? And so this morning, we're going to get into uh, Obadiah, and uh, we're going to really wrap our head around God's justice. Because I think there's a part of us, we don't believe that God defends his people because we see the proud avoid justice. 
seeing little propaganda arms. I saw it when I was a, a commander in Iraq, and we're seeing propaganda spread either way, just to sort of maybe pervert or show like how I can twist the facts to kind of present my own reality so that the people will get on my team and I can do what I want to do when I want to do it and dominate a world. And so we see, maybe in hindsight, how the proud sometimes get away with it. You guys ever get that experience? They got away with it. Or maybe we see the violent avoid justice, where if you've got enough munitions or you're strong enough or you can uh, terrorize, and I'm not just talking uh, on a global nation-on-nation perspective. I'm saying we've seen violence perpetrated here. And it's like, why didn't anybody do anything? Or how about, maybe this is probably where a lot of us go. We just can't see God's greater plan for justice. Like, in the moment, we're seeing uh, what looks to be the wicked succeed. We see the, the good get destroyed. And we go, and that's why I don't do God. Okay? So that's where we're going. Everyone hang on tight. Uh, we're going to do this in 21 verses. And so uh, just pray for me, right? Uh, okay, because we're going we're gonna to ask that you would open up to God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a, a, a sweet hardbound black one in the seat in front of you somewhere. And we're going to be on page 772. And I would love for you uh, to pray with me as we ask God to bless the reading and proclamation of His Word as we get into a really tough subject. Father, uh, I'm praying. Lord, you are good. Your mercy endures forever, and I'm convinced that when we seek you, that you answer. When we cry out and are in the midst of complicated things, if we've, even in relationship and even in parenting and even in just the frictions that we face on a daily basis, God, we're asking, we're pleading, we're saying, God, would you do that thing that you do? When you open up our hearts and see your goodness, how you can make uh, beauty from ashes, and how you can transform our hearts from darkness to light, we love you, Jesus. Do that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, here we go. Let me give you a quick little, I love maps. I'm a little bit, in, this gets to get to see my nerdy side just a little bit, okay? Uh, can we do talk maps? I know there's like, so this is Mediterranean Sea over here. This is like Israel-ish, but at this point of of Israel's life, it's now just Judah. The northern half, northern kingdom, aka Israel, have been conquered by uh, Assyria. And then at this point, the, uh, the Babylon Empire is, has just taken the kingdom of Judah and taken them exile. That's where we start the story. And the kingdom of Edom, down here, is who this prophecy is written against. Which is sort of weird, because you've got, I know this is like fun Bible facts, Obadiah is like, God's coming for you. And Jonah's like, he's all about mercy and justice and love and peace. All right, it's like the, the oddness of like God's wrath, God's mercy, one page away. So that's what's so neat about this is that uh, we're going to be talking about God's wrath against this country. And this might be the part where you're like, that's why I don't like God. He's angry. And so what we're going to find is why and, uh, that God's anger is actually his justice, and that's why it's, it's really, 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 really good. So Obadiah has one chapter, so we don't need to like go turn to chapter one. We're in the chapter, and we're going to look at verse one. You guys ready for this? Some of you are ready. The rest of you are like, all right. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. 
we have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up. Let us rise against her for battle. And so here's the, the cry of God. Behold, I will make you, Edom, small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. Okay, that, God, that's a little bit um, abrasive. I don't think you understand how we, we're a little polite in this day and age. And he's going to tell us why. Why is God being abrasive with this country? Because the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the cleft of the rock, to which you're like, what? In your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring, down, who will bring me down to the ground? To which, if you don't know anything about Edom, then that sounds, you're just reading a bunch of words, and this is why you skip this book. Uh, but let me break it down for you. This is modern-day Jordan. Do you guys know where, you guys ever heard of the city Petra? It's like a big rock town. And when I mean rock town, it's like this. Like to get there, and this is why it was such a defensible spot, and you could get a little bit of proud because when you saw the enemy coming, it's like, ah, they're still a way, long way off. We'll just come around the side. We'll take them out. And whenever they came up the gut, they were met with a lot of defense. This is where you have great plunging fire. This is like, if you are like, a, you're looking for a defensible position, you pick Edom. You're like, yeah, let's go. Boom, boom, boom. This is shooting fish in a barrel. Let's go. So what is happening, they, they, they're saying, listen, nobody can get us. We're in the cleft of the rock. Look at us. You kind of get there like, and look how gorgeous this is. I mean, this is like, we're talking oh, like 2,700 years ago. Look how small these people are. This is unbelievable architecture, landscaping. This is like, wow. And these guys are wealthy. They've got artists. They've got the smart people. And when it comes to defense, check out like, <laughs> this is a formidable fortress. You're going to come up to eat, eat them if you want to attack it and just be like, nah, I'm good. You guys can have your rock. So this is why they have a little bit of pride. Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Oh, you think you got it figured out? I built those rocks. I can take those rocks down. Now, uh, verse 5, it feels like they had the B team on translation uh, on, for the ESV, so I'm sorry about that. I'm going to help you uh, uh, really sort of clarify. Let me, I'll let me read it, and then I'll explain it. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed! Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. In other words, let me... If, yeah, I definitely think we could have done a little better on that on translation, but it's literally this. Basically, whenever a, a robber comes to steal from your house, they can only take what they can fit in their sack or put in their hands, right? But what God is going to do to Edom is he's going to plunder them to the absolute that there is nothing left. There is nothing going to be left of Edom. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. In other words, they're like, hey, we're not going to attack. We're not going to attack. We're just doing military operations around you in your general vicinity. We would never go inside. Just kidding. Taking you. And they have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you. You have no understanding, which is sort of funny. It's like telling, um, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, 
you have no understanding when it comes to stocks. And everyone's like, I don't know. He kind of knows a lot. Because these were the consultants of the security world. These were the guys that you called their wise men. They'd come up to your, uh, your defensive structure and be like, hmm, I see a problem here. You need more rocks. You know, like that was sort of like, and you pay them a lot of money for it. They were sought out. And so this is what the Lord is saying. I'm going to take you guys down. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau and your mighty men. These were great warriors. Their whole life was made on pillaging other countries. They were unbelievably skilled warriors. Their life was war. The mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. Okay. What's, What's the big deal about Edom? God's justice was coming to Edom for pride. Now, when we talk about pride, usually people go, I mean, come on. Uh, but is it really that bad? Well, yeah, it is. Here's why. Okay, let's talk about, let's just go back. Let's do Satan for a second. Uh, he was Lucifer, and his sin was, say it with me, everybody, pride. Excellent. And what his sin was, he's like, I will be like the Most High. I will ascend to the Mount of God, and I will take over. I'm not going to have, I don't, he might have been like chief of the music, but he was, not content with being just that chief. He wanted it all. And God's like, eh, no. Remember Adam and Eve. Ultimately, it was the sin of pride. Because what happens? The serpent comes up. Like, did God really say? I mean, what does God really know? He's old. He's been around like forever. You guys are new on the scene. You guys are the up-and-coming couple. You're like cream of creation. You guys are it. Don't listen to him. You're not going to die. And they're like, hey, you know what? These apples look tasty. And they are great for making one wise to be like God, chomp. And then all of a sudden, their pride beckons the fall. And so everything comes down to that. In fact, uh, in my community group, we have time of confession and repentance, and guys start sharing their, their stuff. They go like, you know, I've got, somebody will say like, hey, uh, I got high or I got drunk, uh, I had, you know, engaged sexual morality, porn, you know, scream at somebody, you know, scream at somebody in traffic, you know, the whole sort of gamut of sins from like, oh, that can't be that really that bad. You know, all sin is an offense to God. You guys know that. And then for the most, everyone goes, mm, I get you. Mm, and a lot of like mooing. Do you guys know that Christians moo? It's like a thing we do. We go, mmm. <laughs> it's what Christians like. They like mooing. Uh, and, but, but we would say, it's okay to be angry. Listen, you're just passionate. It's okay to be lazy. You work smarter, not harder. It's okay to be lustful. You have unmet needs. Everyone understands. Listen, it's okay to be greedy. You're just helping out the economy. But when it comes to pride, when we have like, nobody goes, hey, um, I got something I really, it's been heavy on my heart. I just think everybody here is stupid. All of you, morons. And in fact, I'm like sort of lessening myself to be in your presence. And um, it's sort of irritating me to actually have to face you. Nobody has said that yet. And why would that be? Because if they were to confess that, everyone would be like, oh, what's wrong with you? You pathetic person. Right? Everybody, nobody, that would not be okay. And so 
we couch things in other things, but the issue is always pride. The reason why you're angry is you have this sense of self-justice that you need to like rectify. The reason why you're lazy is you don't need to work. Somebody else needs to do it for you. The reason why you're lustful is you start like, well, I understand God has his you know, sex ethic and all that, but listen, <laughs> I mean, who could really live up to that? I should rewrite. The, the reason why you're greedy is you deserve it. We all, we all make up weird rules for our own selves that don't apply to anybody else. Okay, and this is the part where, um, okay, let me, let me, I can make this personal, all right? Can, first of all, no judgment here, okay? We a judgment-free zone? All right. So uh, this week, this happened this week. It was a, it was a great day for me. Uh, you guys know that uh, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here, and Adrian, she's the children's director, okay? So um, how many of you work with your spouse on the same staff? Nobody, Okay. How many think it's a really great idea and that would just help marital harmony just really go well? Yeah, so I don't know if you know Adrian. She is unfiltered and has opinions. Do you guys know that? And so, uh, yeah, shocking, right? And so one morning, you know, we have like, it's, it's like in our house, we have four children and getting people out the door. It's like, you, get your shoes on. You, get, your, get your shoes on. You, eat, put it in your mouth, in your mouth, in your mouth. What are you doing? Why, it's not time to paint. You know, like that's kind of how the morning sort of operates, and it's like chaos. And in that moment, Adrian feels like it's time for her to let me know some things that she needs to let me know. And she's like, I was up all night. And I'm like, you know, uh-huh. And I'm like getting breakfast. I'm doing things. And like, she's like, so I sent you an email about some things I think would probably be a good idea for you to change about stuff at, at the office. And I'm like, You sent me an email? You sent me an email? Like, and, I, and then she started to explain, and I couldn't hear anything beyond, she sent me an email. Like, who sends their husband an email? Like, what is wrong with you? Why would you send me an email? And I'm like, that's it. You don't understand. And I kind of went off, and I got angry, and I, my voice got a little bit louder, and I started telling the kids even louder, like, why? Because you're not supposed to write me emails. There's a certain sort of pride that sort of ekes up in our hearts, and we probably don't even know it's there, that isn't aroused until somebody offends us at a core level that we didn't even know we were offendable by. I get emails all the time from all sorts of people telling me how I should do everything way better and all the things that are wrong and all that. And that doesn't, I mean, that's, that's what I signed up for. But for some reason, when my wife did that, it just... I didn't even want to read it. I didn't want to know about it because you don't send me emails. <laughs> and then I actually read it, and it was actually a really sweet email about some things that she could help me on. I was like, mm, sorry about that. <laughs> Got a little fired up. But isn't it true that, that just in ourselves, like there's this thing of like, I judge everybody else by their actions, and I judge myself by my intentions. That's what we do. And so no wonder we can come off as a jerk, because we're always assuming the worst, because we have already know what they're going to say. Did you know that God opposes the, but gives grace to the, man, you guys read your Bible. It's good. God gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. 
And I think that's the part for every one of us um, that we f- can't figure out. And this is why hell becomes important. You're like, well, how are we going to hell? Because when we get angry, we're saying, I don't want you, God, to come in and right my wrongs. I don't want you to show a mirror up to me of how my anger is actually the pride of Satan himself, the the inheritance that I got from Adam and Eve, that that same issue that's in me that sort of says, I'm just a little bit better than everybody around me, that everybody's got it. And so hell is filled with a lot of people going like, God, I'm sure you've got a lot of control, but I, I do me. I'm the captain of this ship. And so that's when, when people talk about heaven and hell. I love C.S. Lewis and that he says, like, the offering is, is there. It's just somebody couldn't possibly go from a place of, I want to rule what I rule. I want to be my own king. And so they refuse heaven even when it's offered so generously. And so God's justice was coming to Edom for pride. But that's not all, folks. Watch this. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, to which you're like, that's a weird way to put that. So, uh, okay, can we go for a nerd moment? Brother Jacob. So who is, who is Jacob? So do you guys remember Abraham and Sarah? Father Abraham had many sons. Okay, he actually only had one son with Sarah, but he had a truckload of other ones that would want to fight him later, but that's another story. Isaac and Rebecca come from, or Isaac comes from Abraham and Sarah. Isaac marries Rebecca, and then we talked about this last week, Jacob and Esau. Jacob becomes Israel, Esau becomes Edom, and we talked all about that last week when we shared about their unbelievably dysfunctional family, which dysfunctional families, you know that usually dysfunctional families yield dysfunctional children, and then dysfunctional children grow up and have dysfunctional. Anyway, it's a problem, right? Because then they start hating each other later on. That's why it's like, listen, I'm not saying like your parenting has to be perfect, but I'm saying like God has given you a responsibility for your children to raise them up because how you raise them up and how you teach them how to handle their anger, how you teach them how to handle friction and hurt and pain, it matters generations from now. Which is, I mean, just think back. Think about to the crotchety old grandpa that you've got somewhere in your family line, you're like, Oh, yeah. That's why we don't talk to that whole side of the family. Because he learned. And listen, most of us come to dysfunctional, from dysfunctional families, and that's why we need Jesus, right? That, I mean, the, our hope isn't in our ability to parent and our ability to raise kids, because God help us if that were true for me. But, uh, the reality is it's like God is doing something, but here in this family, uh, it caused a huge rift. And um, so much so that even though Esau eventually forgave uh, Jacob for their rift, and they kind of made friends. Uh, that later, whenever uh, Israel was coming out out of Egypt, they had to pass through Edom. They're like, "Hey, brother Edom, it's been a long time. We've just been doing some time down in Egypt. Uh, we're coming out. Would you let us pass through the King's Highway?" And they're like, "No, go around." And like, but we just did slavery 400 years? No, go around. And so if you come into our area, we will kill you all. That's kind of how that went. And so there has been a little bit of rift. The, the relationship's been broken. All right, back to the story here. So don't gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. So something happened to brother Jacob that brother Edom was sort of celebrating. 
do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. What could have possibly been going on? This is the Babylonian exile. So what happened is Babylon came, started toting all the Jews back to Babylon, and what the uh, Edomites would do is like, oh, sweet, nope, it's time to pillage and loot. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. So, so Jews were trying to escape the exile. They go, Brother Edom, can we hang out with you? And they're like, yes, you can. I'll escort you right to Babylon or just cut them off themselves, and they'd get a little payday out of it. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of his distress. And, and this is kind of like, you guys know that the Babylonian exile was divine discipline. It's kind of like a big God spanking. Like, you guys are in trouble. I'm going to spank you. And then the brother was like sort of getting excited about it. In other words, God's justice was coming to Edom for violence to his brother. Um, so I have four kids, and we have a trampoline in the backyard. And the trampolines are really a sweet, good idea initially. And you're thinking, they're just going to jump up and down. Um, it's also great for cage matches, really. Uh, you can come off the top rope really easily. And when you put, like, the two-year-old, the four-year-old, the six-year-old, and the eight-year-old in there, um, you know, heads butt, phlegm flies, okay? That's sort of what happens. In fact, w- this, this past week, um, Titus comes in. He's my, he's my four-year-old. And he's like, Jet, spit on me. And he's like, and I'm like, oh, all right, Jet, come here. And so I grab Jet, and we're going to do some uh, earthly consequences for his poor decision and then there's Austin gleaming basking in the joy of his father's discipline get him daddy you gotta do it like I know here do you need something yeah Jet what you did did you can you believe you did and I'm like whoa who's the dad here you you're gonna be next all right so like we're gonna and so what happens is what what God is very frustrated with as a father would be is when someone piles on the violence to a brother. Because what, what's supposed to happen with brothers are supposed to be united, and we don't pile on. And I think what happens for us, and, and we, I don't think many of us are, you know, when you're done wrong, it's, this isn't like the Wild West where you can go and, like, we're going to have a family feud, we're going to get a duel going. But what does happen is you sort of have a mini little celebration when somebody goes down. Do you know what I'm talking about? When someone that you sort of had a little tiff went, and then something, you see their Facebook post, or so they're having a hard time, and there's that inner feeling of like, uh-huh, saw that coming, and you kind of want to remind other people how you already knew that would happen, and you sort of feel good about it on the inside, and you're like, <laughs> That's what we do, isn't that sick and twisted? As a brother and sister in Christ, and we're sort of having like an inward little like skipping dance about the fact that somebody went down. If you ever got excited about a church close, like, I knew it. That church. Because here's what God's heart for us is that we would be compassionate toward our brothers and sisters in Christ and not pile on. And not remind them of how dumb or how stupid or just maybe because we don't ever talk about people to their face, right? We just do it behind their back. Way more convenient. And what we, we need to be a place of grace. 
This is the place where people who've experienced divine discipline, this is where you're supposed to come. Like you, in your marriage, it's, you hit the, the wall because you've been trying to do it in your own strength. Of course you come here and you've built up calloused issues you didn't even realize you had. And then you start being around other people who have calloused issues they didn't realize they had and they're still working with the grace of Jesus. And all of a sudden you start to interact and that person says something that, that offends you and you're like, okay, prison rules, let's do this. But that's what happens to us. When all of a sudden, we become just like Obadiah is speaking right to us. But of course, jacked up people are here. And when you bring enough jacked up people, jacked up people jack up other people. Do you guys know that? And that's why a lot of you have church hurt. Watch this. This is where your church hurt comes from. And you say this all the time. And I don't, this is where it's like, how did he know? Watch, here's what you say. The church, and you fill in the blank of your sad story. And I'm not saying it's not a sad story. I'm just telling you this is what you've said. And when you say that, what you're really saying is the bride of Jesus has failed me. And now you're talking about the bride of Jesus. And that gets a little weird. And then you say, no, okay, it's not the bride of Jesus. Okay, granted, that's just a way of saying that one person hurt me. Okay, that one person, and maybe they're in leadership, or maybe they're, you know, they said that thing, they did that thing. And listen, I'm not, I don't want to minimize it. But your problems with that person who's a sinner, a jacked up person who jacks up other people because they need grace. That doesn't excuse it, just explains it. And so what happens then is now you, you're, okay, you say, okay, my issue's with that person, but you don't want to go talk to that person because to talk to that person would mean you have to set up the meeting, you have to have a white bread sandwich of like, here's my issue with you. Here's, but I really appreciate the fact that you've taken time to sit down with me and you say, blah, 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 fluff, fluff, fluff. But here's my thing. You hurt me, offended me. There's something I don't like. More white bread at the back, right? That's how we do white bread sandwiches of like confrontation. But we don't want to go there because that's hard and that makes you feel weird and uncomfortable and God forbid we do ever anything uncomfortable. But that is not what Christ calls us to say, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then at the same time, like just after that, you can rest. He's like, hey, if anyone wants to come after me, you must take up his cross and follow me. Die daily. And you're like, hmm. And so this is the struggle that we have. My hope is that instead of just like talking about people, we'll stop being passive aggressive as is the nature of our culture and just be, hey, that hurt me. That offended me. And then let people apologize. And usually what happens whenever someone says something like that, we go in defense mode because we don't want to ever be wrong. Isn't that what we do? No, you don't understand. It was you, blah, blah, blah. And, thing. and we have problems owning our own stuff. We're just victims of life. We walk around as a constant victim. It's never my fault. We haven't grown up from being seven years old. Is that too personal? Now watch, verse 15. It's like, man, that's really sad. Looks like this is a very sad sermon and we're gonna end it on a minor key, okay? No, watch this. For the day of the Lord. What's the day of the Lord? That's when God writes everything. When the whole world's jacked up, the day of the Lord's coming and he's gonna make all wrong things right. The day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. Well, this is a strange turn. He goes from talking about Edom to the nations. So Edom, you're representative of, you know, this is in grammar, we call it a synecdoche. It's like exchanging a part for the whole, another nerdy term. All right, and so Edom is like a part of the greater whole that all the nations are going to face the same judgment because all of you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As you have done, it shall be done to you. 
your deeds shall return on your own head. To which everyone here is like, crud. I didn't read that part. And that's why we need Jesus. We'll get to that in a sec. Verse 16, for as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow and shall be as though they never had been. In other words, Edom, you're no longer going to exist. But in Mount Zion, there shall be those who escape. There's going to be a place that God's people are going to run to, and he's going to claim them, and they're going to find peace. And it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions, which is a big deal because, remember, they've just been exiled to Babylon, and they don't possess nothing. They're complete refugees in a city, in a, in a strange place. They don't know, and they own zero. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. Joseph, favorite son of Jacob, just FYI, so synonymous. And the house of Esau, stubble. They shall burn them and consume them. There shall be no survivor for the house of Esau. That's pretty extreme. For the Lord has spoken. And then we're going to get into more maps because this is verse 9, 19. It's going to talk about how Israel will reclaim that which has been ripped from her. Those of the Negev, where's the Negev? Southern part, that's the part that connects to Egypt. Uh, shall possess Mount Esau. Where's that? Ah, roughly right there. And those of the Shephelah. Shephelah what's a Shephelah? The Shephelah is like the hilly area, I think hill country, that uh, connects the coastlands to the mountains. Uh, they shall possess the land of the Philistines, which is just to the west, which, uh, you know, Goliath and his gang, that's, they're going to take them. They shall possess the land uh, of the land of Ephraim, which is right about there, and the land of Samaria, which is this whole area, kingdom of Israel, a.k.a. Samaria, uh, that area, the, the Syrians kind of combined it, and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin, which is right here, shall possess Gilead. Benjamin was Joseph's younger brother, and Gilead is just to the east. And so they're going to reclaim all that has been stripped from them. There's this the sense of God's people are going to be restored to their land. Okay, then verse 20, the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, which is the entire area on the map. As far as Zarephath, which is in the north, okay? And the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev, which is here. And you're like, Sepharad? What is that? Okay, this is going to be a fun moment. Has anybody ever heard the term Sephardic Jew? Has that term ever, like, you've heard that word before somewhere? Where is the Sepharad? All right, ready? You ready? This is like nerd central. You're going to be like, it's in Spain. What? So Sephardic Jews are hanging out here. So what happened in the exile? Some people tried to go to Edom. They got killed. Some people did a Jonah, and they got on a boat for Tarshish, which then they actually made it there. No storms. And they got to Spain and set up camp in the diaspora, or the the spreading out of the Jews. And they are going to then take back all the holy land of God, is what they're saying. Now, verse 21 saviors, let me, real quick, saviors shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And you're like, that's a weird word here, saviors. And so, um, it just, because they just talked about how they're going to escape. And so it can be, this is where, man, can I go super nerd on you? This is like, I'm now like epitome of nerddom right now. All right, so this is in the Masoretic text, which you're like, Masoretic, what? All right, that's like the Hebrew 
text that was copied and copied and copied, and we have earliest copies like from 800 AD. It says, Moshi'im. Just in case you didn't know, Im is like many. There's a free part of Hebrew for you. So Moshi'im, and it's, you read Hebrew right to left. And then there's Musha'im, those who have been delivered. That's what the Septuagint, and that's what uh, Syriac scriptures, other languages that we have that are older go to this interpretation. And I feel like, in general, it makes more sense. Either one works. But if you want to know it, whenever people go like, the Bible, you can't trust translations. I mean, look at this. I mean, does it really matter? I mean, this, this, is like, this is like one of the most intense, like, what is it? Is it Moshi'im or is it Musha'im? That's where people, like, rack their heads out, like, okay, Savior shall go to Mount Zion. This could mean that the Maccabees, remember in the intertestamental period, they put, brought the hammer, literally, the hammer down on the Edomites, and they kicked them out, and they restored peace, okay? That's what it could mean. Or it could be that those who are saved— in the end times, are being brought to Mount Zion. Either one works. But this is the, whenever you talk about textual criticism, these are the issues you're dealing with. Something that doesn't overall change anything of what the text means. In other words, we'll see that God's justice will come to the nations for their sin. And this ultimately becomes the reality. And last year, we ended uh, the year going through the book of Revelation, which wasn't that fun. Everyone's like, it was creepy. Yeah, it, it, it talks about how God wins. The ultimate, when you look at this book, you read the very end, it says, God wins. He restores. His justice is seen really clear all across the planet. His love, his grace. And when you love your children a whole lot, when they get hurt, you get pretty fired up. And his justice is clearly seen. And so this is, becomes the appeal to all people. It's like, listen, don't be proud. Don't look at God and give him a stiff arm and be like, I'm good. I'm good. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. We'll just be cool. No, no, no. Or the other, on the flip side of that, also don't kind of look at God and be like, you don't know what you're doing. You can't be real. I've seen too much hurt, too much pain. I've seen, I've been to war. I get it. It's awful. But do you trust God's justice? And here's why this becomes important. Do you remember Jesus? And this is the whole, everything's built around this. If this isn't true, then we just need to fold church and kind of go home and do something more relevant with our lives. Because if Jesus didn't come from heaven to earth and die on a cross, but then be raised from the dead, then we need to go do something else. But he did. And Jesus' great love for us is what saves us. Not Not that you got yourself together. Not that you started working really hard. Not that you started giving. Not that you started uh, serving the poor. None of that. All that matters is that you trust Jesus. And then your soul is taken care of. And then you have a heavenly perspective. And those who think the most of the next life are the ones who usually do the most in this. And they do serve the poor. And they do make sure that people are taken care of. And they do serve and minister in really sacrificial ways. Not so that they might be saved, but because they are. And then it always goes back to this one thing. When you see things wrong in the world, the question is, what does God want to do through me? And so our message right now is, what is God going to do through you? Right now, he's going, to, he's going to bring this hope of peace. And we're going to remind ourselves that God has got something really powerful in store for us. In fact, this is why we take the Lord's Supper, a.k.a. communion. See, Jesus, the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body given for you. 
do this in remembrance of me. In the same way that your stomach feeds on bread, your soul feeds on Jesus. That's the power. That's the strength. That's the courage. All that comes from him. And that same night, he took the cup, wood for wine, glass for grape juice. He said, this is my blood. Shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this in remembrance of me. God's justice shed Jesus' blood. Because he doesn't wink at sin. Because it matters how dark and wicked our hearts are. So much so that Jesus had to do something about it. The God-man. And he came. He who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin on our behalf so that we might be the righteousness of God. Before you got your life together, before you started doing anything for Jesus, he did something for you. We love him because he first loved us. And so my heart this morning, the thing that I'm like hoping you hear from this is um, God's justice is perfect in that what he needed, what we needed was someone to pay the price for our sin and darkness and the wickedness and the evil things that we've done. The way we've caused our own families to be dysfunctional because we sort of added to it, put another fuel, more fuel in that fire, throw another log on, and you just went for it. He died for that. He died for the way that you view others as less than. He died for the way that you sort of uh, got your life in such a spiral and you sort of put up protections and walls and you said, no one's going to get in here especially you, God, keep you out. And he penetrates even that. He says, I love you. So this morning, uh, as we're going to take communion, we're going to do two things. One, we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to forgive us of our sin. And then we're going to take communion together. Because confession to God is forgiveness. But then confession to people plus prayer to God equals healing. We're going to have our prayer teams up here. So after you come and take communion, We'll have, we'll have another song for you to come up and receive prayer for over the darkness that you need to confess. Okay. Let's pray. Father, I know that you are doing something really great here. And Jesus, my prayer is that you would work in the heart of someone here who maybe doesn't even know you. They've, maybe they've been coming to church for a long time. And God, they've been coming and they've been coming and they've been coming. And it's never really made sense that that they needed someone to die for them because their sin was that great, that your justice comes like a flame of fire on those who are wicked. But Jesus, you stood in our place and you died on that cross and then you raised from the dead and our hope isn't anything we do. Our hope is what you have done. And so Jesus, I'm praying that somebody for the first time would step over that line of faith and believe that you are the son of God that you came and you freed us and then we would treat people the way that you treated us with love and compassion. Lord, you're good. So Lord, as we take uh, communion, would we just confess the darkness of our hearts to you? And if, if we're not there yet with you, Jesus, as far as you're our Savior, Lord, I pray that you would just give people a sense of peace that they don't need to come and take communion. Just let that be for the people of God. But Lord, for those who who are Christians. They've been doing this thing for a while and their heart got callous, got hard. And there's some people they got issue with. God, I pray that they would confess that to you. I pray they feel the freedom that you, Jesus, took their sin and 
took their pride, took their arrogance, took their all that stuff and you died for it so their shame could be completely gone. And now they can walk in freedom and by the power of the Holy Spirit make things right. Lord, you're good. So would you start that healing process in some people this morning? Lord, we worship you and we're asking you to do even more than we ever hope for or ask. So in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Imagine just for a second what it would look like just for you to take all the pride that's been sort of puffing you up and sort of allowing you to look down on others if you would simply humble yourself before Jesus and say, God, I confess that. I don't want to be like that. I want to be a person that follows you let you be king. Imagine just a sense of piling on the violence and toward others that we brought on the compassion and the mercy toward one another. Imagine just for a second what it would look like to see God's eternal plan for his justice and then how much freedom that gives us to love one another now. It would change you. It would change the way that you view yourself and your spouse. It would change the way you view yourself and your kids. It would change this church. It would change that city. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people putting pride aside. Go and be a people who look to the Lord. Don't be a people who push back the darkness and have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.